Ihr hört den sehr, sehr guten Podcast über klassische Musik. I would translate it to very, very good. Ihr hört den sehr, sehr guten Podcast über klassische Musik. Sounds gorgeous in German, doesn't it? This thoroughly good classical music podcast with German composer Carlos Kieper is late. It's very, very late. It was recorded in September 2009 to coincide with a one-off concert he was playing in London at the time. Since then, he's released an album, the same album we talk about in this episode, entitled Retronyms. That's already passed. So too the release of a special follow-up B-side collection called Retronyms B-side collection. Better late than never. Carlos and I met in King's Place alongside what sounds like an industrial fridge. It really wasn't. It was just a little busy that day. But then, given the approach to composition Carlos takes and his love of sound and experimentation, maybe there being an unorthodox ambience, is in keeping with the end product. Who knows? In this episode, we talk about his classical music training and the impact it had on his compositional style, how he composed the tracks on the album, and how he responds to the pressures placed on him creatively by the on-demand world. I'm Carlos Cipa. I'm a composer and pianist um, from Germany, and I play a concert tonight in London at um, St Pancras Old Church. Uh, it's billed as a rare performance, as a rare outing for you. Is, that, uh, is this the first time that you're playing in London? I haven't been in London for a couple of years. So I think the last time I was here was in 2015. So I, I took a little break between my two, my last album and this new one. And so this is a very special time being back here in London. Uh, what, do you, what do you see of London? What do you make of London now that you're back? Because how does it, about what, what I'm asking really is, how does it appear to to um, to someone from Germany coming to London? Well, I, li I live in Munich, and Munich is, is not a very vibrant um, city, so London is always amazing to come here. It's a lot of great food and a lot of <laughs> nationalities. There, really? Oh, yeah, there is. I really? had some amazing <laughs> dinner yesterday. Okay, is that your friend's dinner, or is that somewhere that you no, went we, out to? we went to a place called Pizarro. Right. It's a Spanish, um, Spanish tapas place. But Germ think, Germany has great food. Not in Munich, though. <laughs> <laughs> in Berlin, it's true. Um, I'm surprised. I'm surprised. I always like German food. Uh, I wonder whether you're doing German food down. I think probably <laughs> are. Uh, what is it? So does that make London uh, a musical destination for you? Yes, definitely. Can you tell me more about that? Because obviously it's a Londoner who sort of battles uh, on public transport and finds everybody grumpy. Um, I, you know, and I'm quite used to that. But I'm trying to get a sense of why it's a destination for somebody like you. I mean, it's, it's one of the cultural capitals of the world. You get music, there's music everywhere, a lot of amazing scenes, a lot of interesting, interesting things are happening here. I, I think it's... 
every time I've been here, it was it was a wonderful experience. Do you think that we t- maybe we take that for granted then? Maybe people like me take that for granted. Maybe. <laughs> you don't want to be drawn, are you? I can tell. Okay, I'm going to have to work harder at this. Um, tell me what you're bringing to London uh, at the moment. What, what is the album? Just tell me something about the album. Mm, I released an album a couple of weeks ago in August, and this is, is an album. I, I'm, a, I'm a composer, and I write music for a lot of different instruments. And this album, but I'm a pianist, so everything is always based around the piano. But on this album, I, I worked with seven other musicians, brass players, string players, woodwind players, a guitarist, and I myself played a lot of different key instruments, like a celesta or a harmonium and synthesizers, and it's all woven with electronics, so it's a quite colorful record, instrumental music. Where did it... Where did the idea for it come from? Where did it start? When did you begin work? I um, started writing music when I was 20 years old, with just on the piano. I was um, classically trained from the age of six and started playing drums at the age of 16 and that made me want to write my own music on my main instrument, the piano. And I released a piano solo record in 2012 and then another mostly piano album in 2014 with a few other instruments in electronics and then I took a little break from releasing and now this is my third proper album out since August. I like that, I like that you call it your third proper album. Yeah, I, did, I, did some, I did some EPs in between, right. so little, just tiny little things. Uh, so I've, I've heard the, this album uh, I hear it as sort of quite experimental. Yeah, it's, it Would is. that be fair? It, I, know, I know we're all obsessed about categorising music and I know it's annoying, <laughs> but I do hear a transition from, from your early albums, uh, the, the piano solo albums, to this one. And this one feels more experimental. Yeah, I, I, I let more room for improvisation especially for the other musicians that came in but also in terms of during the recording process so a lot of the smaller pieces on the record are just things that happen during the recordings of this album and I let them just as they were and also I wanted to um, experience more in, in terms of form and in terms of length and so I have two very long I mean in terms of pop music long there's like 12 minutes pieces too and before I think my longest one was nine and normally four and I think um, a lot of people aren't used to longer pieces I mean I am because I listen to a lot of classical music but that's what I wanted to try out just not not well, only have songs can, whether you can write for, for longer periods yeah exactly and what, what did that uh, what did that challenge bring that mean sort of building longer narratives in terms of writing it doesn't really bring challenge it's it's actually like very freeing and rewarding to just have time to to like properly develop a piece but when you're finished and you have to release it it brings a lot of problems because the industry is just focused on smaller pieces streaming wise radio wise so I, I had to make a radio edit for one of the pieces, which I found really well, I hard. I can hear the tone, tone of your voice suddenly, <laughs> suddenly shift. 
uh, what was was that about taking so what was hard about that was that taking something that you had sort of labored over and then having to reduce it down yeah because when when the main focus of a piece is just to take its time and you have to reduce that it's really hard to find a way to like have everything in there what you want but still shorten yeah. it down it sounds to me like you don't produce stuff for social media because <laughs> that's something that I have always battled yeah. with that, that you know if you're shooting an interview with somebody or indeed if you're recording a podcast yeah. you want to give people the opportunity to warm up and to, yes, exactly. to reveal yeah. something uh, and yet actually apparently the audience doesn't have time they're distracted by lots of different things so they're only prepared to watch for 30 seconds it just breaks my heart exactly that, yeah exactly that's the same thing yeah and then people tell you well the listeners only um, listen to the first 30 seconds and then they if they like it they might listen more but and then you, if you're on if you have a video on YouTube or something you can already you can see when, yeah, when the viewers drop off, drop yeah. off which does is that, does that influence your creative thinking and has it no, it does not. <laughs> no, no, I've ignored all of that. Uh, so, what, so did you actively just ignore it, or, or is it that you don't agree with it? Or I'm interested in understanding how you, how you handle that. I think if there is someone who wants to listen to a full album, he's going to be rewarded from what I do. Yeah. So I'll make music for this one. But if someone decides to drop off at 30 seconds, I mean, that's fine. But maybe I, I have... The, um, the possibility to even show this guy that that he wants to do to listen more. It sounds so. as though you're not going to. I mean this in a positive way. You're not going to compromise your artistic integrity. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I fight. I fight hard for it. I do. Right. Right. Uh, and and who are the people who are? What are the arguments that people are using in order to persuade you otherwise? Who? What are the arguments people are using in order to persuade you otherwise? So I, so I sense that there's a conflict there. I'm asking you, as a creative individual myself, uh, I wonder where you feel the pressure from people in order to um, create to a particular set of criteria and what are the arguments that they're using to persuade you. No, Does that make sense? Yeah, I know what you mean. It's, I think in the end you have to, have to sell your albums. It's the last step of, of making music and... I think the market is really down to a certain view on things. So if you're not going to fit in, into this picture, then you have to persuade more, you have to talk more about music or explain more. And so I think for for a label, I don't know, it's it's easier if someone fits into a certain certain picture. Uh, you, you seem... Um, I'm not trying to flatter you in any way, I'm really not, but you seem terribly young. <laughs> <laughs> and full of energy and enthusiasm and no way cynical like I am uh, but I'm wondering how your classical music training prepared you for what sounds like quite a demanding creative arena I mean I really admire that thing that you've told me which is I'm not going to I'm not going to compromise I'm going to do what I'm going to do what I want to do and I'm going to hope that those people who commit to it will feel rewarded at the end of it that's essentially what you said were you trained in that? Were you prepared for that? Mm, I, th I think the music that I'm writing is not really categorized as like proper classical or core classical. So it's just 
it's a, a music that is between worlds. It has influences from from a lot of influence from classical music, but also from pop music, from jazz music, from from all different places. I'm I'm really exploring all different kinds of genres, and so. But I think the classical training that I got on the instrument definitely has a lot of impact on wanting to to explore certain things that aren't in like in a pop song or something so I'm actually studying, still studying a lot of Bach or Mozart or Beethoven which I think are the most innovative things ever written so I think for me it's more, more to do with that sort of, and I may be assuming something that isn't there that, that sense of creative resilience that you seem to have uh, and I'm wondering where do you understand what I mean I see a blank face in front of me which suggests that maybe you don't understand what I mean that that um, that commitment to this is what I'm going to write uh, and I want people to listen to it and if they drop off after 30 seconds then fine um, I'm wondering where that resilience where that sort of creative determination comes from whether it's something that you learnt when you were training or whether it's something that is just in you I think this is ju- it's something that's just in me because I had I studied also composition for three years at the at the university in, in Munich and this was like properly classical composition like new music and I found it really hard there to also have my own ideas because the professor really um, didn't understand what I was doing because they don't really write tonal and I I do write tonal music and they're more they're very more into one certain aesthetic so I think if you want to like really do your own thing like get to the bottom of what what you as a person want to do you have to find the answers in yourself so, well, so for, for those people who, who won't have gone through composition training it makes it sound like like boot camp um, <laughs> what were you what were you learning well, you have a, you have certain courses where you learn just basic orchestration right. um, or harmony and s- theory stuff like that. It can be good if you have a good teacher. It can be really bad if you're a bad teacher. I had, I had both, so with uh, <laughs> it's just a fairly balanced experience. <laughs> um, but are you? Uh, but you're learning about different style. I get that you're learning about orchestration and harmony and, and transcription and those kind of things. But are you also learning about different styles, or are you sort of being given the the tools and then being left to use those tools? You don't really to learn. See what I mean? Yeah, you don't really learn about certain styles of different kinds of music. It's all mostly classical, so which can be really great because I, I did learn a lot of Mozart in at the at the um, conservatory. But in terms of contemporary music you only look at a certain span of time and it, it doesn't you never learn about Beatles or Beach Boys or David Bowie or something like that where you can as a composer of modern contemporary music can learn a lot maybe even more than from why do you think that they're not doing that I mean that's probably an announcement we'll just let them make their please learn from David Bowie <laughs> Yes, <laughs> the man with the microphone, please go away. <laughs> I think she's gone now. Um, 
I don't why, know. Why, I don't why, really know. Why do they not do that? Because um, I remember learning about it at school. I remember being, I had a very, quote, zany teacher who introduced me to prog rock, um, Messian, uh, Schoenberg, the Beatles, and Jonah Man Jazz. Um, it's, 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 you know, it's quite a range of stuff, range, yeah. and I remember thinking, "You are weird, and you've got a massive beard." Uh, his name was Victor Scott, <laughs> and I'm surprised that you know Howard Goodall. I don't know if you know the composer Howard Goodall, who picks apart uh, pop music and rock music uh, and, and applies a sort of a musicological uh, focus to, yeah. to to all of that all of that work. Why? Why is that kind of composition not taught? I think in, like, especially in Germany, we have uh, really um, we divide music into series and non-series music right. like quite a lot. Also, in terms of how much money you get if you write, write this kind of music or that kind of music. So at the at a conservatory, you're becoming a serious music composer if you study composition there, and all pop music, all kinds of pop music, are always not serious. Right. So it, I think this is a. Are you having to make that choice at university? Maybe. In a way. So. I really wish you back off. <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm still not going to edit it. <laughs> that would be really fun. Um, are you having to make that choice? Because I think I've heard somebody else say to me that at university they have to. I mean, they have to make a choice between the, series. The, or you make the choice how the music, how you make that music, because if you're normally composers that study composition at universities in Germany, they write um, atonal, of course there are also different styles, but in the end it's it's just a, a short, not really open-minded way to, to write music, and I think if you let other influences in your music, especially like really good music or rock music or, or pro, rock, rock or what you're you saying then your music opens up to a place where there's no categorization anymore so I think this is this is what you have to decide as a young composer and I mean I grew up in the 90s so and now we have Spotify everything is available one click away from each other so it's does that excite you? it does excite me a lot yes <laughs> but it also brings its um brings its difficulties because you have you, you it's so easy to hop from one place to the other and you need to like really make make yourself a picture of what you're gonna want to influence you so it's it's not possible just to have to be in one one place anymore I think so that's why we like younger composers are all over the place in a way. Uh, you tell you tell a story that makes me think that. Well, makes me, makes me ask the question: Why would anybody want to be a composer? Because it, it just seems, uh, you know, when you're training, uh, there's a certain amount of resistance against. I mean, I realise that creatively speaking, one needs to have something to rail against in order to create. Otherwise, if you haven't got anything to resist, then there is no creativity. But um, it sounds like a struggle. Uh, you know, identifying of, what it is that you want to write and how you. Of course, composition is always a struggle. You have to, you have to. You struggle with yourself. You struggle with, with the sheets. You struggle with the music. As, but it's, this is a good. It's a good struggle. It's not a. It's a positive struggle. So you, 
if you fight really hard, the music is going to be better. Why? Wow. <laughs> uh, <when t> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, when did you first experience that? When did you first realize that? Was that when you were playing drums? That was the first time I experienced like writing my own music, yeah. Because in this time, as a band, like five people together, the struggle. I think. I think it, it's more when you write music, f when other people are involved. So if I write the first album I wrote, I just wrote for me as a player. But when when you write for other instruments, like I, I recently wrote a string quartet for. A, for a really good string quartet in Munich, which was premiered this year, and then you have to like really, really focus on what what is this guy doing, what is what is she doing, what what's what's her special design. I always, if I write for a certain ensemble, I really want to know what the what the single players are like best of. So you can you're not only writing for a violin, but you write for this specific violinist who plays like that and plays like that so so you're writing for, so your audience when you're writing when you're writing a string quartet was primarily players no I mean the, the players I play mean you want, to, you want to make sure that the, that the players are satisfied yeah sure <laughs> or or, or, or struggle <laughs> or struggle <laughs> <laughs> wow you are complex <laughs> uh, that's really interesting um so tell me specifically about how the album was put together. Because you brought together classically trained musicians and got them to improvise. Yeah, so the idea was just to have like a very free and like a creatively free process of writing this album. So I, I started, as I always start, with improvising myself on the piano and collecting ideas. And it can, this can be me on a piano for a lot of hours and... Maybe at f four hours later, I find one rhythm or one one melody I want to develop more. And with these ideas, I go into my studio and I, st I just start recording on on the piano or on different instruments. And during the recording process, I bring other musicians in. So I, I brought in, for example, a trombonist, an old friend of mine, and I recorded him. I, I, I gave him some idea, can you do this, that, or I, I wrote him specific parts down for, for certain pieces, but he was also allowed to, to improvise. Or He was allowed to improvise? Yes, some, <laughs> I mean a, classical, a classically trained um, musician is not used to improvise. Because, because their, their formative experiences were based on playing from manuscript. <laughs> yeah, it must have been terrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, well, in, for the trombonist, I recorded him already um, practicing or like playing, getting used to the instrument or the room, and these these recordings were actually used for the first piece for the intro. The, it's called Fanfare. Mm -hmm. So, and this this was just it, was, it just Did happened. Did you tell him that at the time? No. <laughs> I didn't even know. I didn't even know. I just, I just recorded to get the gains well, right. Did you, so did you seek his permission. <laughs> <laughs> he was fine with it. <laughs> and, but it, it was. But I'm interested in knowing at what point you told him that you were going to do that. After it was finished. Right. <laughs> the, oh, that's fine. the piece. Yeah. yeah. But it, it, it was because very. It's similar to. It's electron. It's really electronically um, enhanced. So it, 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 it became something totally different. So you are a lover of serendipity. 
in, or, in, or, in, or rather you like serendipity in in the recording process yes, yes. definitely and so then it, so then it can so I recorded him and after I have the recording I work with the recording so I make electronics out of it I make synthesizers out of it with the sounds of these instruments I, I brought in a clarinet player she she's also very classically trained and she she improvised a lot of textures for the for the for the pad sounds on the album and but I also had a an amazing jazz trumpet player and I at for some parts I, he had to stick to a to a sheet so but he had his moments of freedom uh, what was it, why did you want them why did you want the jazz play, play for manuscript is that because see I wonder whether there's a glint in your eye now <laughs> I wonder whether you wanted to do that just to mess with them the I, not um, so maybe, yeah. maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah. But there were certain parts I really n- knew what I want from him. Right. But on the other, in other parts, I really knew if if I would write something down for him, it wouldn't be as good as what he can do if I just tell him certain things that I want. So. Did you notice any resistance in him? No. Unease. No. But, but, but did he did he express any unease? No. My assumption no. is that those who are used to improvising. No, he even he even brought in a f- a few tiny details through through the part I wrote down so that was really a good a good combination so he had a melody and he made some small details with it and Uh, and what do we hear him in the the trumpet player is is, he's playing in three pieces the second one is called Senna's Joy and uh, one um, piece called Dark Tree and the last one is just just piano and trumpet called Paon this is actually one of my favorite pieces on the album. Because uh, this, because so? this, the the piano part I just played at some point during the recordings in in a, in, a, in a night, and I just had a record player on, exactly. and it just yeah, it was just a, an improvisation of four minutes, and in the end I heard it and I said, wow, I think this could be on a record, and then I showed it to the, the trumpet player. And she just, she, uh, he just said, yes, okay, I go, I'm going to do something with it. And then he just played on it. And it was just one take. So it just two, and then it was, it was the piece and it was, it came together you quite magically. <laughs> yes, yes. So sometimes you... So something about the way it came together. Yeah. The ease at which it came together. Exactly. And because there are pieces on the record that took six months to record, to write, to work with. And this piece just... In the end, it took 20 minutes. <laughs> um, it's the flip side of that, the expect, from your perspective, the expectation that other people will love it. You know, I, I get that you experience joy putting it together and that you're pleased with it because it came together relatively easily. But I'm wondering whether there's also an expectation or a hope on your part that everybody will love it because it because you love it. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, sure, I think I think so. But I also like Does to it make get any preferential treatment in your hopes that's why I mean as a result of it coming together easily. I don't really know what you mean. Sorry. Um, so for example, if I, I recognise what you're saying, if I shoot some video and then I approach the video timeline and think this is going to be a real pain in the arse. It's going to be, I haven't got the right material, it doesn't look very good, the contributors don't sound very good. And then quite by chance, I drop one clip in with another clip and I have a music bed and then I watch it and go, oh, actually, no, that works. 
and then I can't help but look over that sequence and think, that's brilliant. I really love that. My hope is that when other people yeah. see it, they go, oh my God, that's amazing. That's, that's what I'm asking you. Is there, is there a hope that because you found it a relatively straightforward and pleasing process, is there a greater hope that your audience will love it too? Yeah, and I actually already got really great performances on that particular piece, so so that's, that's definitely, and, and for me it's also great that the trumpet player is really, really happy with it, so <laughs> <laughs> he, he pushed it as well. <laughs> But, um, but I mean, it's, 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 if you work with other musicians, it's really important that they, that they are on board with what you do, what they contribute. So this, this makes me really happy that this, this is a piece he also sh can show to people and say, well, look, this is, this is an amazing thing that has happened there. Is it uh, an album only for listening or is, it, is there a performance element to it? And if it's, sort of, if it's a mix of electronics... Yes, we're performing it live, but I reduced it to a version for four players. So, and we played um, already um, nine shows with it. So it's it's me on the piano, and I have a few um, few um, effects on it, like a delay and something. And then we have a clarinet player who plays the bass clarinet, the B clarinet, and an alto sax. So. He's kind of doing the trumpet parts with the alto sax, so, and then there is a string player, a violin player. She's also playing rhodes, and then we have a we um, we put together a station with rhodes and a few synth and a few electronics um, effects, so we can perform everything live. It it's definitely a different version than on the album, obviously, because it wouldn't make sense to, like to properly recreate every electronics but everything is performed live everything is like performed like a chamber music in a way so and with these four players we are able to really perform every aspect of the record so but it was it was really hard to to put it together because i was determined not to use any backing tracks not to use any loopings not to use any click tracks so it's just I really wanted it to be performed as a band or an ensemble. Uh, tell me what you're most proud of on the album. You can't say the last track because you've already had to. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm most proud of um, that it's a very colourful album so it has a lot of different sounds of instruments on it. So I, I myself played over I think 15 instruments so this can be really obsessive so I have I have one instrument for example I, uh, this is called a guitarret it's a kalimba like instrument from the 60s that was only built for two years and I wow, you're a collector yes I am, I am a, I am a collector <laughs> you might and be I, a kleptomaniac <laughs> <laughs> maybe and I I use this this particular sound only for maybe 20 seconds on the album so there was just just one part I, th I thought cool this is going to be the sound for this one so and then uh, and that instrument this what? Talk to the instrument it's it's built, it was built by Hona the famous German manufacturer and it is an electric kalimba so you you thumb piano you you um, you um, move a metal plate with your fingers and it makes a 
clocking sound, okay. and then you have a, but you have a, it is amplified, and you have a guitar signal which you can put get um, sent through effects. With a K, it's a it's a kind of an African instrument, a thumb piano, it's called. So, and yes, this is like just for example that I'm very. Um, it's all about the details of the instrumentation, because I I write music for not for an orchestra that that has the that has a certain amount of instruments you know what to do if you study how to orchestrate pieces, but I write music for a strange combination of a lot of different instruments that aren't put together that haven't put together before so I there's, there's no way that I could like just write a score for these instruments and I, and I would know this is what it sounds like so the, the aspect of sound and recording is really part of the orchestration of the music so I, I really need to have this open process of Recording sounds and see if they fit on this specific part. Actually, when putting stuff together, you don't. There's an unlike ex- unlike what might be described as conventional orchestration, where yeah, you exactly. have been trained yeah. to learn what the combination of a flute and a clarinet together sounds like, yeah. and then make that decision to use it. Yeah. Actually, your compositional process is. I'm going to listen to what all of this myriad of instruments together sounds like. Exactly. So the the recording process is combined with the compositional process and the orchestration process. So if I have sorry, yeah. If if I have a harmonium and a celesta and these weird guitar at kalimba instrument, I really have to record them and see how they sound together like this and okay I can use I thought I could use it for this part but it doesn't fit that but I can use it here. So it's the the recording process starts at the beginning and ends when everything is finished so <laughs> it is not it's not like I write for a string quartet and we record no, at this no, day I yeah, yeah I understand what you mean um, how long then did was the recording process for the album six months it took six months yeah and I mean, that's a very round figure so you know when, when would your day start when would it finish are you quite rigid well, I, I work in my own studio which obviously helps for not, yes, having, not to, having to having to book <laughs> yes so um I'm I'm there all I'm there yeah yeah I'm there all day so and sometimes all night or I'm I'm more more of a night of a night worker no this is it's really it's it's what what I want I want to do it's just be in the studio and work work on the on the on an album. Um, Where will we hear the Klimba? What tracks will we hear the Klimba? This is, um, is in the piece Dark Tree. In the middle, but it's, it was just I just um, said this that it's just a tiny detail, but I I, I have a I have a weird <laughs> instrument just for it for some details. I really like that. <laughs> You've been listening to the thoroughly good classical music podcast available on Spotify and Audio Boom. To get in touch, please tweet at thoroughly good. You can also follow thoroughly good on Facebook and read the blog at thoroughlygood.me.